Hello, lucky listeners. Welcome to Culture Goes Pop, episode 10. On this week's episode, we will be discussing Obi-Wan Kenobi, the last three or so episodes. We'll also be discussing the first three episodes of Miss Marvel, as well as a few other things that are going on in terms of pop culture news, including the movie, the biopic on Elvis that's coming out. My name is Scott Wilson, and I'm here with my co-host, Steve Strobridge. Welcome back, Scott. It's good to be back in the studio after a week off. Yes, sir. Anything interesting happened to you this past week that you want to share with our listeners? Uh, Well, something very great happened. Uh, I went to attend my son's high school graduation. He graduated with really good grades. He's going to be going on to college at the end of the summer. So I'm very proud of him for that. Uh, He's already becoming a better man than I was at his age. And I can only be thankful for that. There you go. You're a proud father. I'm proud of you. That's awesome. That's great to see. Congratulations. What's your son's name? Uh, He's named after me. Scott, oh, okay. <laughs> Scott Wilson Jr. Yeah. Okay, so you're kind of like my dad, had no imagination. <laughs> right, right. I'm a, I'm a Steve Strobridge Jr., so yeah, there you go. <laughs> right. Well, congratulations to you both, to Scott Sr. and Scott Jr. That's great to hear. Um, so we're here. What do you want to talk about first? Miss Marvel? Let's. How about we do that? We'll, just, we'll do Miss Marvel, because there's only three episodes, and then we're going to chew on the entire season. Um, summary of Kenobi. You want to kick it off with some Miss Marvel? Sure, Miss Marvel. Well, I like to kick it off in high fashion. This is my favorite Disney Plus MCU show thus far. This is what I've been telling you about in terms of a show that simply grabs you right from the outset and where things are clicking on all cylinders and you can recommend it to another fan without any caveats. You don't have to say, well, okay you'll enjoy it but it has this problem has this problem has this problem you have to overlook that no there's nothing to overlook in this show so far the lead actress is great she's adorable in the role she's likable you root for her you want to see her win in every every possible situation and most importantly she's a character even without putting on a costume the superhero elements of the show are not treated like the main course to the meal so to speak all the, the character is a character even without becoming the superhero and that's one of the things I enjoy the most about it it's also kind of I would argue a fairly compelling family comedy drama outside of the superhero elements so I think Marvel has kind of finally really cracked the code this time out and that's just my overall summary I can get into more detail with other things later Okay, great, great way to kick it off. And uh, number one, I want to correct my own um, national ignorance because I was going off my memory. And as as you mentioned in one of your uh, friends who listened to us and gave us some feedback, yeah, I'm notoriously bad at remembering things, which I have to get better at for trying to do a professional show here. But I uh, to quote Kamala herself, she refers to herself as a brown girl from Jersey City. Now, I I only knew of her recently by seeing a special on Disney Plus, and I mistakenly said I thought she was Indian. Turns out she's Muslim, 
and they and they throw out the terms interchangeably hindi and muslim and again i am nationally culturally geographically ignorant to not know what parts of the world hindiism and muslimism exist but i know there are there two different cultures and um and this this character kind of represents we'll call the muslim culture because they, they they attend a mosque and things like that um so yeah dumb me not knowing the difference uh, and it's not because I'm racist by any means. I'm just ignorant. <laughs> so I want to I want to kick that off and apologize for not properly talking about what culture she represented. Well, you know, I think that that's one of the things that a show like this can help with. It will prompt, hopefully, it'll prompt a lot of younger viewers to get on Google, to get on YouTube, to learn about the culture of other people in this country who they're living next to. Uh, that's one of the great things about these kind of shows. I mean, people always complain about Marvel doing too much in terms of diversity and quote unquote being social justice warriors, but those things do serve a purpose. They can familiarize, they can normalize, they can make things easier for the people being represented. Right, right. Now, I just want to say, too, you mentioned that you loved everything about it. I love everything about it, too. I, I would also say it's probably one of my favorite newer Disney Plus live action superhero si uh, series, especially bringing in a superhero that not everybody is as familiar with as like your mainstream, um, you know, A-list Avenger characters. But when you talk about the character being a relatable character and the family, this being a kind of a family dramedy uh, at, at its core, and I believe what they're doing is kind of capturing what they did with Peter Parker, right? Peter Parker was a character that had struggles and a character that had challenges outside of being a superhero. We're seeing an origin story here too, which I'm not always a fan of when it's a character you know well. You know, like we don't need another Batman or Superman or Spider-Man origin story. But with a character like this that I would think a lot of casual comic fans have that we're not as familiar with Miss Marvel, who she is, why why is her the fact that she's a teenager and, and is from a certain culture, why is that important? Um, I think we're we're getting all that I wouldn't say spoon-fed to us, but revealed to us in a rewarding way. It's not like we're not being telegraphed about, oh, by the way, this person is from this culture and you need to understand this and you need to be sensitive to that. It's just playing out a story on things that happen. Uh, taking place in Jersey City, uh, teenager, again, shades of Peter Parker, challenges with family and school and fitting in, shades of Peter Parker. Um, love all that. Um, I would say I've loved everything about this series. I would say, as you mentioned, the family uh, drama, comedy, kind of bringing it home, keeping it real type thing. I enjoy that piece of it. I did feel to a degree in episode three, it was getting a little bit heavy on oh, episode three was almost all about the family and preparing for the wedding. And I felt like, you know, we're getting like out of a 50 minute show, we're getting probably 40 minutes of all family. I was starting to feel like that was a little bit too much for the episode as far as a ratio of family to superhero action. But the payoff for me was the wedding and the Bollywood number. I absolutely love that Bollywood. It got my feet stamped, you know, stomping. I was feeling it. I was entertained. I was laughing. They did it in such a good way where, again, this kind of is now shades of the Eternals, where you saw the guy doing the Bollywood number, but he was like the pro performer. Everything was choreographed. It was like MTV perfect. This was like what you'd see at a real wedding. It wasn't perfect. We're having fun. We might have did a little slip up here and there, but it was shot and choreographed in a way that it felt completely natural, very organic. 
And that was one of my favorite parts, actually, at the end. I'm like, we're getting too much family, too much family. Let's let's get to some action. But then we have this number at the wedding. And this is like the the equivalent of what most the Caucasian weapon, uh, weddings will have. It's like a line dance doing something like the chicken dance or something like that. This is their version of that. And it was awesome. I love that. And of course, we did get some superhero action at the end. So it was a complete payoff. But yeah, from beginning to end, all three episodes, this is something that's grabbed me. I love the character. I love the origin story. I love the peeling away of learning about her powers, where her powers are coming from. She's still learning what her powers are. Everything about this is just gold to me. Right. And as far as the wedding piece is concerned, that's actually a trope that's been used in movies and television quite often to sort of familiarize the audience with the characters, to get you comfortable with them in their own element. The first thing that comes to mind, it might sound like an odd comparison, but I'm just a guy that watches a lot of movies and TV shows, is a 1978 Vietnam War drama called The Deer Hunter. You may have seen it. It's a three-hour-long film. It won Best Picture that year. The first hour is largely a big wedding scene with the main characters before they go off to war. And it's just kind of them dancing and singing and getting drunk. And they have a conversation with a vet who's returned from the war that kind of has an ominous feel to it. And But it does a good job of just making these characters seem like real people, of sort of getting you to sympathize with them without even really knowing them. Uh, that's what those these kind of scenes tend to do. And I mean, like... This show has already laid a good groundwork of familiarizing with the characters before the wedding scene. As far as there being too much family and not enough superhero action, this is a six-episode miniseries. We're at the now at the halfway point. So I'm thinking now they're probably going to start ratcheting things up, especially now that the main threat has been established. Right. So I think I think we should be good from here on out. Right. I think one thing that I need to try to do just as a person in general and now as a for lack for lack of better term a broadcaster or podcaster is i probably need to take a more broad approach to uh, judging things which is hard to do because we're watching and judging things episode by episode but as we'll see when we get to the kind of uh, series finale and wrap up of kenobi sometimes pre-judging things based on not having more of the information uh, can do you can do you a disservice and I, I often find that when I read things online and social media, people are just basically trash talking certain things. I say to myself, come on, we got to give, you know, give, give people a break, give things a chance. Perfect example. Um, again, I have never seen the anime version or the live action version, but there's a, a show I'm familiar with that it exists. Cowboy Bebop existed in uh, animated form. And then Netflix did a live action Cowboy Bebop. And all I remember reading about at the time was nothing but hate. Everybody saying, well, this isn't like this and this isn't like that. And, and that just really turned me off to the internet as a person. You know, if the internet was a person, that person's a whiny you know, <laughs> B word. Uh, it's like, why do you got to hate on everything? So I need to kind of check myself and try to temper this pre-judgmental, pre-hate on things until I can see the full arc complete itself. And it's hard to do in the moment, you know? Right. Uh, that's just the nature of the internet. That's been the nature of fandom, I would argue, for decades. At this point, we're very quick on the trigger. We're very reactionary. We don't always judge things on their own merits. We judge them based solely on our own expectations that we bring in through the door. And you kind of got to find a happy medium. Like, I don't believe in the idea that you're going to be able to watch something completely without expectations. We're human. 
especially if you're a fan of something, you're going to bring some level of expectations, but you got to be mature about it. You got to, you can't be myopic about it. You have to realize, okay, I have to judge this particular thing on its own merits. And with these big IPs that are owned by these major corporations, from what I understand, they tend to change it or reboot it every seven years because they have to bring in a new crop of fans. So everything isn't always going to be directed at us, you know, middle-aged guys, <laughs> you know, they need, they have to right. get into new fans. Right. But yeah, as a whole right now, the Miss Marvel series, I'm, I'm loving it from beginning to end. Uh, and I can't wait to see where it goes. And, and Kevin Feige has already said that we're starting her off in, in the Disney Plus streaming, but she's definitely a part of the MCU and she will be in a future Captain Marvel Carol Danvers uh, full length feature. So seeing her transition from the medium sized screen to the big screen is going to be rewarding as well. We're kind of getting our feet wet and our appetite uh, kind of wet for this character and everything she's going to do. I can't wait to see her bust out into outer space with Carol Danvers if that happens. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, to come to think of it, the only thing I could think of to even say, it's not even really a criticism. It's just like, yeah, at this point, I like to see us get, you know, nose deep, eye, eye, eye level deep into some superhero action. But, you know, I don't want to jinx it because I really do like the fact that they seem to have gone to a good deal of trouble to tell an actual story about a person here. Not just, right. you know, we're not just sitting there waiting for Peter Parker to put on the Spider-Man suit and everything up until that point is just a slog. Right. You know, this is, um. if you've ever been a teenager, you can understand the dilemmas that the main character goes through you know i like the character dynamics i like the friendships i like the way the family interacts with each other i like how the mother is sort of she's very annoying in the way that mothers can be when you're a teenager but you can still see she clearly loves her daughter right right she's you know? being the perennial parent where i want the best for you and being being me being a good parent and wanting the best for you means sometimes or most of the time i can't be your best friend and let you do whatever you want uh, something that parents will understand that children still have a hard time understanding. Right. You know? So, uh, yeah, great, great family dynamic. Um, great way to bring in. Um, and and it, like I said, this is a character we need an origin story for, because most of us, unless you're just a hardcore comic fan and you've been on top of everything Marvel's done over the past 50 years, there's too many characters out there to know the history and the backstory of. So this is the perfect character to spend time with the origin story, with introducing us to the character, to the families, to the world that this person lives in. I love that it takes place in Jersey City. I love that they're fans of Bon Jovi, which is a Jersey band. You know, when you think, when you think of, um, New Jersey, you think Bon Jovi, you think like Bruce Springsteen. These are the these are the guys and the bands that everybody from that part of the world just knows, and it's like your backyard music. So I love that they're Bon Jovi fans. I love that the wedding band was called Brown Jovi. <laughs> I thought that was kind of awesome. You know, I love that they kind of close out an action sequence with some Bon Jovi, bon Jovi music, just bringing all the Jersey together. Uh, I thought that was awesome. Uh, yeah, love the series. Can't wait to see where it goes. I, I'll also say if somebody wants to experience this story in a similar way too, there's a great video game. Uh, there's an Avengers video game that's out now that also tells the similar uh, origin story of Miss Marvel, of uh, Kamala Khan. You get to start off playing her and learn about her powers as you go through the game. And then you kind of switch characters from time to time and you get to play some of the bigger Marvel characters too. But this origin story is also played out in the Avengers 
modern video game that's available on consoles and PCs now. If you want to experience this a little bit more, it's it's a good way to do it. Kind of starts off at that same Avengers Con type thing, you know, her kind of learning her powers as she goes. So it's a great parallel to the live action um, movie or show. And to comment a bit on the music, what I find very amusing and entertaining is there's a lot of sitar music in this due right. to the subject matter but you seem to hear variations of it you hear the traditional version of it i think but you also hear versions of it that are sort of fused with some hip-hop tra- and trap music trap R&B music whatnot. yeah like yeah, matter of fact, when when they started to cut you off, but you made me think something. As soon as they started the um, the the uh, dance sequence, the Bollywood dance sequence, that opening soundbite, and then because I, I, I watch it with the subtitles, and it says something like Bollywood music starting. I'm like, no, no, what? This isn't Bollywood. This is freaking uh, Funk Goes My Heart by uh, Black Eyed Peas, right? Because that is exactly that. Yeah opening instrument they started their st- i'm thinking oh this is going to be great they're dressed like bollywood they're going to do bollywood but they're going to do it to black eyed peas because that opening I, I could name that tune in, in one soundbite and that's what i thought i was hearing and then it breaks into the whole actual bollywood production which was awesome too you know the blending of cultures and musical fusion something i could never get tired of hearing you know right and thematically it fits in because it's going it's showing you that all of this family came here from another country. Their children who were born here are very much American. They may not completely abandon the country, the the culture and traditions of their parents, but they find a happy medium between the American things that they were raised around and that they enjoy and with the values that they brought from their home country. And I think that's an interesting way to sort of say that without saying it in the dialogue or without necessarily showing it, that this main character she's every bit as much American as she is from her parents' country. Yeah. So I think that's a good way to emphasize that. Um, it's, which is what these type of things, are, these type of experiments are supposed to do. And it also is really good in that it, it makes you as a viewer curious about things that you may not be familiar with. Right. So, and the, the kind of, um, what's the word you want to look for? But whenever you have a, a TV series, when you have two characters, you know that they kind of probably like each other and should be a couple, but there's always that romantic struggle of getting started. But her best friend obviously likes her as more than a friend. He's having a hard time kind of popping the question. And then episode two, Mr. Handsome, too good to be true, falls out of the sky and she's smitten with him. And you're already suspicious, right? Okay, this guy is way too good looking. He's way too perfect. He just comes out of nowhere. Um, What's his story? Because episode one leaves us with the, the discovering there's this secret organization that's that's going after superhumans who the hell are they this guy shows up you're thinking oh he's got to be part of them he's the bait to catch her turns out he's something different but still not everything we think he is until episode three um and and the guy who likes her her best friend who's helping her create he's kind of like the q from bond who's creating all her gadgets and everything and helping her do all the research on interdimensional travel um you know he, he's her guy in the chair type guy he he, obviously he's in love with her or at least likes her likes her you know as more than a friend but he's struggling with that that how do i let her know and now here's mr perfect coming out of nowhere how can i compete um all that stuff layered in these human struggles and these inner these character chemistry dynamics are done so well and so real um, you mentioned when you told me, because you saw episode one before I did, so I asked you to not spoil, but you said it's done in a certain way that would be reminiscent of another Marvel f- 
thing, but you weren't going to say it till we saw it. I'm going to go ahead and, and call you on that one. We're talking about into the Spider Verse, right? As far as the kind of graffiti comic exactly. back back background type stuff exactly. like that. Um, yeah, love that. You know what I would love to see too, and I think this would maybe play to it, and maybe maybe this is wishful thinking, but I would almost love to see this even break into like the Ang Lee Hulk comic book panel type things like that, where you can kind of maybe go into a uh, Pantone dither pattern where you take a, a cell, you kind of comic book it and move it up to the corner, start with another cell and then zoom into that and kind of like panning it out of comic panels. I feel like this might be able to do that, but is that too cliche? Is that done? Is that like unnecessary, that kind of transitional comic book graphic effect? Well, it may not be any of those things, but I think that one thing Disney and Kevin Feige might be a bit apprehensive about is that the Ang Lee Hulk was not well received and was not a huge hit when it came out. It was kind of a financial disappointment. I think it's a bit more appreciated now as sort of this outlier, this experiment that sort of tried a different approach visually, dramatically, thematically. Mm -hmm. So I think it's one of those things that's appreciated more in hindsight, but at the time, it kind of landed with a thud with most viewers and with a lot of critics. So I think they may be a little skittish about that. Perhaps if the show gets another season, they may become more bold with the visual okay. style. Okay, but I, d I do love the kind of um, neon uh, kind of emoji graphic uh, artwork that they, you know, kind of paste right. into the foreground and the background of things. I think it's a nice stylistic touch. And I think it serves things without being, you know, over the top. Yeah. That's, that would be my exact observation about it. It's not distracting. It's not right. It's serving, you know, right? It, it's yeah. It's in the service of the story, and it's well, relatively subdued for most of it. If I notice when important things are going on on screen, you get a lot less of the visual pyrotechnics, which is a smart decision. Right. Right. It's subtle. Right. Perfect. Do we need to say anything else about Miss Marvel other than we both seem to love it and can't wait to see more of it? No, I can only reiterate what I've said already. I think that this is arguably the best, not even arguably, I think this is the best Disney Plus MCU show thus far. I'm just hoping they can keep up this momentum for the last half. Okay. Hope, I'm hoping they can have a strong finish that will leave me really wanting to see a second season. Okay, well, we're going to say arguably the best, but we can't forget something that it might tie this uh, Moon Knight another live action MCU that's kind of broken molds and held its own, which I haven't finished watching the entire season of, we need to do a Moon Knight season wrap up. But would you say Moon Knight's in, the, in a similar vein? I think it's similar in the sense that thematically it tackles certain things that we haven't seen in superhero media of any kind, and especially how it deals with mental illness. Uh, I don't think it's as seamless or successful as Miss Marvel. Again, like you, I have to watch the last half of it. I think Miss Marvel is a bit more complete okay. in achieving its goals than Moon, Moon Knight was. But yeah, I think Moon Knight is definitely trying something new. I will give it that. Fair enough. So we're going to wrap that up. We're going to both give it a thumbs up, I'd say. Yes. Miss Marvel. Solid, solid thumbs up. All right, so there goes 20 some odd minutes in. We've just wrapped up talking about Miss Marvel. I am trying to be conscientious about the pace of this show. Uh, I don't want the episodes to be too long. I don't want any topic to go too long or too deep. This is me thinking this is how it should be, but time will tell. 
I think conversations will be as long as they need to be. Um, and our listeners, as we get more, may have different opinions on us maybe needing to spend more time on things as we, as you, one of your friends has mentioned that we should possibly dig deeper into certain things. So time will tell, but I would like to keep a general goal where our episodes are roughly an hour and hopefully you don't spend more than 20 to 30 minutes on any one topic unless it really needs it. So I don't want us to be talking in circles, you know, Agreed. Um, but I think this 20 minutes was a good enough time to spend on summarizing three episodes, a mid season point on a new series and uh, switching gears now, we will move over to Kenobi, which is now season one has wrapped entire six episodes. I think we both had mixed feelings about it. Mostly good. We had some nitpicky things to say about it. But why don't you kick us off with your impression and uh, general overview of the entire season one of Kenobi. And then we'll, we'll get into some uh, deeper dives. Okay, general overview, I was a bit more enthusiastic about the first two episodes than I was about the third, fourth, and even to a degree, the fifth. This show, to just be blunt about it and to be completely honest about it, has a lot of issues in terms of the writing, the storytelling, and even some of the technical execution with the effects and the way the action scenes are blocked out and executed and shot and edited. There's some real issues here with this show. The one place where the show, I think, really scores high is with the fan service regarding Darth Vader. Because if you're a Star Wars fan, I, I can't speak for every Star Wars fan, of course. I would say th that the majority of Star Wars fans, Vader is probably their favorite character. I mean, Vader is my favorite cinematic character of all time ever, overall. So you're always glad to see more things that can show you sort of the monster that Obi-Wan described in the original trilogy, but that we never really got to see in the originals or the prequels. So I think it really scores high with the fan service elements. Uh, for instance, in this season finale, the fight between Vader and Kenobi is pretty solid. I mean, aside from some little technical nitpicks, I don't really see how a fan could have much issue with how that fight unfolded, the way it was shown. Um, and I'll get into a bit more of that after you speak your piece. But I give this first season kind of maybe a mild recommendation. It was okay. If they get a second season, I'm not even sure if that's um, necessary for a show of this nature. If it does get a second season, I'm hoping they really improve on some of the fundamentals of storytelling because it was kind of a bumpy ride. But as far as the fan service goes, I would give them a solid B+. Plus. But I think that it's time for these Disney Star Wars properties to grow beyond just being um, conveyors of fan service. They need to grow into their own thing that becomes a natural organic extension of Star Wars and continues the story. But. Right. And that's that's kind of a teaser for a news uh, item that we'll talk about right. at the end of the show. I want to say now, looking at the season as an entirety... Uh, I feel it wrapped up well. I feel like it did pay off. I'm not sure that we needed six episodes to get here because I don't feel enough things um, kind of substantiated the need for six hours to get to this conclusion. Um, and it's really about four main characters. So we've, well, okay, so we have Kenobi, we have Leia. To a lesser degree, we have Luke, we have Reva, the third sister, and then obviously there's uh, there's Darth Vader. So those those are the characters that are being spread across six episodes. A lot of people said, why did we even have Hayden Christensen 
in this if all we're going to see is Darth Vader in a suit? That question was answered in episode five with the flashback scenes. And I felt the flashback scenes were, were really helped the story, served the story in a lot of good ways. I, I love seeing them. I will say, as other people have said, um, they didn't do an incredible job to kind of digitally de-age either of the actors. So we're seeing 19-year-old Christian Haydenson being played by 40-year-old Christian Haydenson. And although he looks the part, he's got the haircut, he's still very lean and fit. So physically, he looks like a 19-year-old, but the, the, the crow's feet around the eyes and the wrinkles on the forehead give it away. It's kind of hard to buy him as 19-year-old Anakin, but in a way, I felt it was doing the actor Hayden Christensen justice and giving him some payback because I know he's gotten a lot of hate <laughs> over the past 20 years of, of how that character was portrayed. So him being able to say, suck it up, bitches. I'm 40 years old and I'm still a pretty damn good Anakin and I could kick the crap out of you with a lightsaber because <laughs> I'm a physical badass. I think that did the actor more justice than it did the story or the, the visual presentation of it. I didn't hate it. It was obvious, but it wasn't completely terrible. Um, but the two scenes that we got, which was a, a, a flashback to basically episode two, where Anakin's still the Padawan and they're still training and we can see some of the things that um, Kenobi knows about Anakin, things that he can use against him now as Vader. So as far as some of his tenacity and how we can kind of egg him on and motivate him, um, that was a good kind of leading into that. And then the... Um, the, the, the younglings part where now he's in episode three, he's evil Anakin taking out the younglings. So we got to see him, you know, kind of reprise some roles. Um, so again, if you're a fan of Hayden Christensen and what his character could have been and what his character became more of in the Clone Wars animated series, I, I don't feel like Anakin... Um, on screen got enough justice in episodes two and three of Star Wars. We got to see him. I he, My takeaway from him, he was kind of like a Kylo Ren. He was kind of a whiny bitch for the most part, but he had there were some moments. Um, I have recently rewatched the, tri the uh, prequel trilogy, and to quote um, Leah talking to Han Solo, uh, you have your moments. Not many, but you have your moments. There were some good moments, especially episode two and episode three. When you watch them again, um, with wisdom and patience that I didn't have 20 years ago. There were some really good moments between those characters in the, um, in the prequel trilogy, although there's many things I'm not crazy about. I can now watch it with some um, wiser eyes in mind and appreciate it. But um, I, I've, so I felt like episode five did a good job of calling back to some of the good chemistries and dynamics of those two things, bringing it into the 10 years forward in this timeline where we are now and serving the story well and justifying why they even brought Hayden Christensen into this series. Because other than that, it had been a, a tall guy in a black suit. Anybody could have been Darth Vader. So I did like those scenes. Um, and I did like the finale, that battle. Like you asked me in episode two, did I like the battle between uh, Darth Vader and Obi-Wan? And I felt like it was just there to be there. I don't feel like it really moved me um, story-wise or emotionally-wise. But that final battle in episode six where Kenobi got his groove back, he has his mojo. Seeing these Jedis fight the way they fought Count Dooku and the way, you know, you're, 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 you're doing your lightsaber work, you're doing your force power stuff, you're throwing people, you're throwing objects, you're doing everything a fully empowered badass Jedi should do. They were both 
basically trying to kill each other with every power they had at their disposal. And I thought it was an epic battle worthy of Star Wars. So I felt the payoff of that battle really, to me, kind of justified all six episodes, but I felt like there was a lot in between that didn't need to be there. But the payoff to me made up for all the other draggy parts of the six episodes. Well, speaking of that battle, just to get into the specifics of what I liked about it, you know, I loved the sort of callback to Empire and how Vader was using his psionic powers to levitate and throw things at Luke. Right. And here we get that again, except he's doing it with rocks. He buries Obi-Wan Kenobi in rocks. And then we see Obi-Wan do it, but on a much bigger scale. So we see that at the end of the day, even though Obi-Wan was rusty in terms of his force abilities and his force powers, we see that he is still at that point very much stronger than Anakin with the force or not. If, if not stronger. Equal. Yeah. He, but he has a, he's he's better able to control. He has more control over his force abilities. Uh, uh, also. Uh, something that a friend of mine said that he never understood a good friend of mine shout out to scott f evans a guy that i hope to get on the show one day filmmaker and actor he said something once that i think is very is very interesting thought how come when people fight vader they never go for the respirator controls on his chest (laughs) right it's right there dude right take it out you've crippled him right and we saw (laughs) so obvious we're so obvious and we saw Obi-Wan finally do that. And then we get right. that, fam- that famous wheezing that he was doing in, in Jedi after he'd been electrocuted by the Emperor. Right. And then we get what I think is a choice all-time great Star Wars visual with his helmet being slashed open on the left side, I think it is. And you can see yes. Anakin in there. It's just a great visual. You can imagine on the cover of one of Marvel's Star Wars comics. You can imagine it being the poster for a Star Wars movie. You can... It's just an amazing visual, and I like how the voice vacillates between right the ADR of James Earl Jones and Hayden Christensen's adult voice. I like right. that, it's, and it's just it's just it just conveys so much without without saying it in words. It just conveys everything about the character that you know the person inside is like a a shell of his former self. He's dead in a figurative sense, and. It also goes a long way that moment. Somebody else, another friend, my friend O'Diesel pointed out to me. Now there's a better explanation for the lie that Obi-Wan told Luke initially. When he said that your father was betrayed and murdered by Darth Vader. Because Anakin says, you didn't create Vader. I did. I killed Anakin. Right. Anakin was weak. Yes. Right. Yeah, that that was the that was the bridging the continuity gap between everything and kind of completing it and connecting it in the perfect way. And it probably helped um, Obi-Wan deal with all the guilt he's been carrying because he felt he failed uh, Anakin. If he failed him by allowing him to go to the dark side, he failed him. Um, and then he thought he killed him and then he's back. And so, and this, so if we want to get a little bit nitpicky about the tropes, which has happened in movies and in star Wars historically, why are we leaving people for dead and not knowing that they're dead? 
right? right. So the fact that he the buried, right, the fact that he buried Obi Wan in the pile of rock. Okay, we're assuming that he's dead, but why is it that your Force power lets you know when Obi Wan's near you? Can't your Force power let you know that Obi Wan's dead or not? You know, are you just no longer focused on it because you're assuming, yeah, I'm pretty sure I killed his ass, right? I buried him in rubble. Pretty sure he's dead, so now I don't have to tap into the Force to figure this out. But to me, that's a little bit of a it's a bad trope it's a bad cliche and it's kind of a gap in what is the force really telling us the force should tell you if some bitch is dead or not right so right. <laughs> but somehow he left him for dead turned his back and left and of course he comes back he's now all badass it's like you know neo in the matrix now i am the one right and so now i have the power and all this other kind of stuff um and and then again what does he do he leaves him for dead. He knows at this point now, there's no doubt in Kenobi's mind that Darth Vader is an evil SOB who will kill anyone and everything that gets in his way. He thought he killed him once. He knows he's alive. He had a chance to kill him again. And of course he didn't. Now, if he did, it would have completely screwed up the continuity to every movie that followed, but he had the chance. He was down. He was down on the mat. We could have just, you know, pinned him and done the 10 count and it could have been a, a KO, but he didn't. He left them there. Um, I, I guess hoping that Anakin will change, right? Or Anakin will come back from Darth. I don't know. But the whole, I could have killed you and I didn't kill you thing, it's done way too much. <laughs> yeah, Star Wars, that's one of the tropes of Star Wars. Also, another trope of Star Wars is that villains always get to redeem themselves, except for Palpatine. He never gets to redeem himself, but... You know, right. as for the third sister, we see her get a redemption moment that she realizes that she is not, in fact, as much of a monster as Anakin has become. She may have done some horrible things, but there are cert there's a certain line she will not cross. I like that conclusion. I don't really like the way it got there. Okay. And I think she's an interesting enough character that I would like to see her again. I'd like to see where she goes from here. And because I didn't watch the Clone Wars, I don't know if her story's already been told in the, in the Clone Wars or Rebels or anything else. So I'm not sure if those answers are already out there. She's new to me. And based on how I know her now, while I felt she was in some points slightly annoying like young Leia was, I felt like her character arc and her performance as an actor redeemed herself and her, her story redeemed itself where I believe she's an interesting enough character I'd like to see where she goes. Could she join the rebellion? Could she be a rogue um, kind of hybrid person who's a little bit evil, a little bit good, will possibly kill Jedi if she has to, will possibly take out uh, members of the of the Imperials or the imps, as they like to call them? You know, who knows what she's going to do, where she's going to go. I, I would like to see where she goes, if they can keep her interesting enough, you know? Right. You know, like I said, I just wish the writing had been more solid to support her performance. But, you know, it is what it is at this point that's just kind of crying over the same thing over and over again um like i said i think the show delivers in the fan service moments the the ultimate or penultimate fight i should say between vader and obi-wan the the imagery the use of force powers it, it delivers on those things but it's it needed those scripts needed a few more passovers before they went in front of the cameras and i'm kind of a little frustrated about that because I think this show could have been more I think that Hayden Christensen is better now as Obi-Wan than he was in the prequels or Anakin uh, uh, yeah. Hayden Christensen yeah, yeah. Well, well, both, both him and, and, and Ewan McGregor I think were noticeably better they felt more human and I think that's due to 
George Lucas's direction during the prequels. You know, he kind of had them coming off very stiff and cardboard like. Mm -hmm. But I think here they felt a bit more no recognizably human in their reactions and facial expressions and things of that nature. So it's kind of I just wish they would have didn't have to do all the heavy lifting and some of that could have been done by the writing by the direction but we'll see i think that the ratings were probably high enough to get a second season so we'll see if it happens right so you know as we mentioned when we first started talking about this uh obi-wan kenobi the live action series picks up 10 years after the end of star wars prequel episode three and so at the end of star wars episode three um, we see that, uh, you know, Padme dies, the twins are born. We realize we have to protect them because we don't want the emperor to find out about these because they could be used as weapons or they might just be in danger. So they might, they might either be just killed as a liability or recruited to the dark side to become weapons against the rebellion. So for many reasons, we want to protect these kids. And, and so that's kind of where uh, Star Wars Episode Three, the prequel uh, movie, leaves off where, um, you know, Organa uh, takes Leia and then Kenobi takes Luke to Tatooine to stay with his uncles. So um, great way to end that. And we're also teased at the end of Star Wars Episode Three that Yoda tells uh, Kenobi, you know, your old master, uh, Qui-Gon, he's supposedly the first Jedi to find a way to come back from the dead via force power. And we see this happening in the original Star Wars trilogy now where Ben Kenobi comes back as a force ghost and right. kind of guides Luke and everything else. But supposedly it's teased at the end of episode three that Qui-Gon is the first, for lack of a better term, force ghost to come out of the force. He's the one who discovered it that would teach future Jedi how to do this. And, and then we get to see that payoff at the end of the finale of Kenobi, the live action series. Here's Qui-Gon. And I thought it was great to see Liam Neeson still looking as Qui-Gon-y as he did, you know, 20 years ago in, in episode one. He looked great. Seeing him as a force ghost gave me the feels, gave me some tinglies and some chills. That was a great thing to kind of, that was the cherry on top. You know, the icing on the cake and the sprinkles and the cherry on top to me was seeing the Qui-Gon ghost, you know? Right. Um, yeah, and I like how they set up Qui-Gon as the pioneer of that particular force ability and it's also it, it's a decent commentary on the sith you know we never see the sith able to commune with the living from beyond the grave and i think that probably goes a long way in explaining why vader has such a fear of death you know that there's a that's always kind of been what's motivated his character is a, a fear of death and dying and loss because i think on some level the sith know that once they're dead that's really it no. well the sith have a a, a heres of being a, a history of being sons of bitches too where every sith yeah. basically was killed by betrayal and that's kind of the mo where is uh, i'm gonna kill my former apprentice to get a new apprentice he's gonna end up killing me and taking it's just the cycle has the gone through two. the history the rule of two and the only one that's kind of broken that rule has been darth sidious where he's basically saying nobody's gonna kill my ass i'm gonna keep killing off my apprentices so they don't get too powerful to try to take me on um, and then when I die, I'm going to clone my ass too. Right? So, right. so, so Sidious is the one who's, he's the biggest son of a bitch Sith there's been. And, um, but yeah, so if they were to come back as ghosts, they would be some angry, evil ghosts because well, yeah, every that's... single one of them has been betrayed. They would, they would not probably help 
<laughs> they're a former Sith. If anything, they might want to help the Jedi by saying, hey, wait a second, these guys were some a-holes and <laughs> they backstabbed me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to, or at least sabotage the Sith, right? So <laughs> I don't know right. what an angry Sith ghost would be like, to be honest with you. Well, it's, you know, again, in that uh, city is cloning himself. It's another sort of clue as to their fear of death. You never really see the Jedi trying to do things to quote unquote cheat death. Right. You know, they, it's it's kind of like I'm I'm looking forward to becoming one with the Force. Right. Right. It's kind of like going to heaven. Right. I, I want to go to yeah. heaven. If I if I was a good person on this earth, I will be received in the kingdom of heaven, and I can't wait to be received and join everyone else who's there. Right. The big afterlife party, <laughs> right? No, no, that's exactly what it is. The, the Jedi yeah. seem the Jedi seem to see death as just another transition, just another evolution. You know, it's right. not a finality for them. Exactly. But, and and something that was only teased and was not really paid off was, I think, it was at the end of Episode Three, where we saw all the Jedi's kind of frozen in what I'll call uh, amber. They kind of look like the Jurassic Park amber, where they had all these Jedis and even a youngling. We saw a youngling there when, when they were uh, raiding that base. So was that episode three when they raided, or is it even episode two? I don't remember. When he had the rescue Princess Leia from the from the water base, and he said, oh, this isn't a prison. This is a tomb. And they had all these kind of entombed Jedis. They weren't frozen in carbonite. They were you know, kind of locked up in some amber liquid. It's either a liquid or a solid. They look frozen in amber um we don't know where we're going with that that we were revealed that we're holding on to dead jedi but why uh, i have a feeling this is feeding into why they were chasing after grogu and the mandalorian where the whole trying to tap into midi-chlorians that's going to feed into how palpatine has been cloning himself in the sequel trilogy i have a feeling it's all part of that story but it was teased and not really uh, we, it wasn't really followed up on on season one of Kenobi. So maybe we'll see more of that in season two, if there's a season two, or maybe we'll see some of this in uh, season three of the Mandalorian or somewhere else. Cause Mandalorian has already teased. The reason why they're after Grogu is that the empire is cloning. And we'll, and we learn later on that, you know, Darth Sidious cloned himself and has also right. cloned the other D bag guy. I can't remember his name right now. The first bad guy we saw in episode yeah. seven of star Wars. <laughs> What was his name? Here I am forgetting names again. Your friend's going to be mad at me again. <laughs> I can't remember the name either. Okay. So we're both redeemed there. Um, so yeah, that was teased and, and not really uh, kind of finalized. So it'd be interesting to see if that was, it's going to be dropped or if that's part of a, something we already know about and will be revealed later on. Um, in the end though, I would give um, Kenobi the season. I'll give it a pass. I'll even give it a, a general thumbs up as the season and there were certain episodes i wasn't crazy about but i feel the season as a whole told a story and and had a, a good climax and and was good fan service was good nostalgia feels don't feel it was absolutely necessary in the continuity and continuum of star wars but i felt it was great for these actors who have not we haven't seen these actors in a while to see them again carry things out carry them out well it's almost kind of like seeing um uh, Andrew Garfield getting redemption in Spider-Man where he, he, he did some good on-screen acting and then his his trilogy and his Spider-Man career got cut short so to see Andrew Garfield again was great to see. To see these guys on screen again was almost like a redemption for the actors if nothing else. Obviously the characters we want to see the characters but these actors deserved some on-screen redemption after being kind of slighted for 20 years because they didn't get to 
tell the stories and be the characters they should have been able to do because of because trilogy because the prequel you know so <laughs> right um i give it a i'd give it a mild recommendation with reservations uh there were certain things that just to me should have been better i read somewhere that the budget was a bit lower than the other star wars shows i'm wondering if that was an issue but there, there are certain things that there really isn't any excuse for so uh, mild recommendation. There was there were things I definitely liked, but there were things that I have big problems with. Okay. So on that note, anything else you want to add to the six episodes that was season one of Kenobi? Or we beat that one to death? Well, I think this is a pretty good place to stop. I think we've gotten our general ideas out there. Anything else would just be sort of minutia or just our personal opinions on Star Wars in general. So I think we kind of we're at a good place here. Okay. Uh, Scott, it was good seeing you again. You know, we, oh. had a, we had a busy week. You had a week off taking care of family and other needs. And that busy week at work. But it was nice to have a break, but it was good to see you again. It was good to get another episode in the can, and hopefully this one, uh, like the Goldilocks, just right. Just enough content. Oh, I think, no, I think this episode is pretty much a good template to use moving forward. It only took us 10 weeks to, or 11 weeks to figure this out. But, and, right. and we encourage your feedback and suggestions, and we'll, we'll get back to that uh, hopefully next week or soon, too, because we got some really good feedback, all of which has been taken to heart and will hopefully be implemented in the show. <sighs> Anything else you're watching of interest? Not at the moment. I've been watching a lot of movies from the 70s, things that go beyond the nerd and geek stuff, if you will. Academy Award winning films, some small cult films, exploitation films, the whole gamut, lots of film noir, lots of the conspiracy thrillers and paranoia thrillers from the early 70s. And I implore all geeks to do this. Man cannot live on Star Wars and Marvel and Star Trek and other such IPs alone. Expand your interests. Move beyond that. Not only are you expanding your interest, but you're also seeing some of the backstory of the movies that inspired the filmmakers that made the things that we enjoy. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Inspiration comes from a lot of different places, and history does repeat itself in many different ways. Um, Sometimes watching an old flick, you're going to say, oh, my God, that is just like this. But now you're going to say, no, that is just like what you just watched, right? So uh, like like how rappers will lift samples and and beats, um, movies have done that too. They've lifted plots and scripts and themes (laughs) over and over and over again. It's hard to get anything original anymore, but this is how we're doing it. What kind of spin are we putting on it? And, And what new generations are seeing it for the first time? So, yeah. I love uh, I, I love watching that. That's what I love about having these streaming services and seeing old cheesy movies. Well, we think of them cheesy now, but they were pretty groundbreaking and revolutionary for the time. Right. Yeah, yeah I'm a fan of that stuff too. Uh, not only that, because I'm an old person, I remember when these movies were new. So it's part of it's just nostalgic, reliving childhood memories too. Sometimes. Um, good stuff. Good stuff. So who knows what we'll talk about next week. Um, more Miss Marvel and hopefully other things too. Maybe we'll have a chance to see Elvis and we can talk about that. Who knows? Uh, but we'll wrap it up. You want to say goodbye, Scott Wilson? Well, just want to say again, as I always say, thank you to anybody who's listening out there for giving us your time and attention. Those things, uh, there's a heavy price on those things these days. So we are very grateful that you spend your time and attention with us. Likewise, what Scott said, and just to wrap it up and to plug 
where we are. We are Culture Goes Pop, the podcast. We are available on all types of audio podcasting services. Our website is culturegoespop.com. Email show at culturegoespop.com. You can listen to us on Amazon, on Anchor FM, on Apple, on Google, on iHeartRadio, on Spotify, and Stitcher. And wherever free podcasts are sold, we will hopefully be there. Until next week, we will see you all. Bye-bye. Goodbye, good people.